Our scripture reading this morning comes from the often used prophetic book of Habakkuk. (laughs) Habakkuk chapter 3. Some of you are going, I've never heard of that book before. It's it's there among the minor prophets somewhere. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Param. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and the nations trembled. The ancient mountains crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though they were about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard all this and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The great reformer, Martin Luther, said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Many of us live oxygen-deprived lives, I think. 
Because for many of us, prayer belongs to the province of the professional clergy caste, or prayer is the daily, weekly, monthly spiritual requisition form that we go through. God, it would be nice if you gave me a parking space, uh, a good year on my tax return, uh, for the Dodgers to keep winning, uh, for the Angels to lose, uh, you know, whatever. Hey. hey. <laughs> it was St. Francis of Assisi who said, when we pray to God, we must be seeking nothing. Nothing. How do we surrender our spiritual want list and invite God to speak to us on his terms? How do we make that possible in our lives? Because we are so versed in a way of thinking about prayer that it's about God desiring to give us well, whatever we want. I mean, we have a whole theology in Western society built around that. A prosperity gospel that says, well, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And if you get wise, well, you probably didn't get healthy and wealthy, so don't worry about the wise part. Just be healthy and wealthy. Habakkuk, the prophet, prays for perspective in a totally different way. He prays in a way that makes us uncomfortable. We listen to his prayer in chapter three and we go, ooh, God sounds really, I don't know, rough, mean, hard to live with. I don't know if I want that kind of God in my life. And yet Habakkuk, is willing to say there is a question of perspective. There's a point of view when it comes to prayer. Can we come to God seeking nothing? The prophet prays a song of confident perspective. He's, he's writing a musical here. Now, I don't know much about writing musicals. Uh, I don't know anything about writing musicals when it comes right down to it. Uh, but, but I know that lyrics and music have to fit together somehow. And that the lyrics are as important as the tune. And in Habakkuk's case, we aren't given the tune. We're just given some notes at the beginning and the end of the text that of chapter 3 that, that give us some idea that he was thinking about this as a great hymn of faith, but we don't know what key it's set in. We don't know whether it's major or minor. We, we don't know much other than this is a Hebrew poem given to us as speech to God. And it's, in essence, a petition to God to manifest his power. It's an invitation for God to show up as a powerful God. And of course, the problem with that is when we think about God 
as a powerful God. We don't think of God as a warm and fuzzy God. We, we think of a ferocious God. We think of a God, as C.S. Lewis describes Aslan, as, as a God who is very powerful, but maybe, maybe not all that safe. A God who is very wonderful, but maybe a little risky to be around. That is the God that Habakkuk prays to. Not a mean, malicious, malevolent deity out to destroy everything. Not an autocrat seeking minions to mindlessly follow him out of fear and terror. But a God who, simply put, is the guy in charge. The creator and sustainer of the universe. The one who rules and leads And so he may be a very, very kind and benevolent and loving God, but he may not be easy to get along with. This is the prayer that Habakkuk begins, and he describes in the bulk of his prayer, verses 3 to 15, this vision of seeing God at work, of of experiencing the world as it is, and seeing the fingerprints of God, the fancy word we use for that is theophany, a vision of God, a vision of his awesome power and a vision of his awesome vindication. That God is a God of great power and God is a God who cares for his people in the midst of their tragedies, in the midst of their anxieties, in the midst of their difficulties, that powerful God is there, Habakkuk says. And Habakkuk knows of what he speaks because he is a prophet speaking in the midst of exile. He is a prophet that is speaking to a lost people. He is a prophet who is speaking to a people who have never seen the power of God in this way. They have no firsthand experience of this story. Habakkuk, for most scholars, probably was served as a prophet during the exilic period, during that time when the people of God had been carted off from their homeland in Palestine to, to squatter settlements along rivers in the Babylonian Empire. The strategy was to throw them to the dustbin of history so that they would not know themselves as a people. But two things happened during these exiles. Prophets raised up. Literally, the Hebrew word prophet, navi, means to bubble up from the ground. Uh, a cognate of the word navi is wadi, the river. And, and so these prophets didn't didn't have, you know, an official appointment. They didn't, you know, there wasn't a bishop that called them. God touched their lives and they began to speak. And they began to pray. And it bubbled up. And as their words bubbled up, they began to remember the stories, the stories of God's faithfulness in creation and in the days before Moses and in Moses' time. And they began to write those stories down. 
on scrolls and small groups of 10 households would begin to meet and read these stories to each other. This is what happened during this period that Habakkuk was alive and in ministry. The, the scrolls of scripture were recorded for the first time and these prophets bubbled up. And Habakkuk is speaking to a people who've never seen God at work, who, who in fact, the, the official state policy towards them is to deny them any and all opportunities to know who they are as a people. Imagine living in a culture that says to you, you are not worthy of a past. How would you respond to that? Habakkuk reminds them of God's great acts and of how God stands with the people. And so he can be confident and say, the cupboard's bare. Our lives are empty. There's no food. There's no sustenance. The, wor the world we inhabit is not sustaining nor sustainable. And instead of saying, God, it's your fault. God, you've abandoned us. God, you must hate us. God, we are forsaken. Instead of saying that, he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. When the cupboard's bare, God makes us agile. When our lives seem empty and bereft of resources, God enables us to navigate the difficult terrain. This is the confidence that the prophet brings to his people. And this is his word to us. So how do we create healthy perspective in prayer? We've been talking about prayer as part of a, a life of passionate spirituality. The, the series is prayer and work. And we've been talking about prayer for a number of weeks now. But how do we, how do we create healthy perspectives around prayer? And I think Habakkuk teaches us several things. First of all, I think he teaches us to understand that prayer is dialogue. The whole structure of this book, of this prophetic book, is of dialogue, of Habakkuk asking questions of God in chapters one and two and responding, God's word responding to him. Prayer is ultimately dialogue. We, we treat it as monologue or at least as serial monologue. We, we send up our prayer to God, we, we tell God what we want, and we 
And we wait for the package to arrive, like Amazon.com, you know. We, we send our order off and we wait for the box to show up. And we think that's prayer. But prayer is a conversation. And conversations are not always easy. I have been, a, I've been in ministry for 36 years and the number of easy conversations I've had as a pastor compared to the number of hard conversations I've had as a pastor, four to one, five to one, hard conversations are part of our lives. And, and yet we live in a culture that really tries to deny that, 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 that denies the, the hardness of conversation. So we go into avoidance mode or denial mode or, or oh, I don't want to deal with it mode or, or, oh, it's no big deal. But conversations are hard, even among people who love each other deeply. Conversations require hard work. And prayer is a conversation. It requires effort on our part because God is putting effort into it. The, the creator and sustainer of the universe wants to have a dialogue. Imagine that. And so part of creating a healthy perspective in prayer is reimagining our prayer not as an not as a transaction, but as a dialogue. Secondly, it means taking seriously God's answers to our complaints. Habakkuk complains in chapters one and two. He's basically asking the why God are bad things happening to us good people. He's asking, asking the question of theodicy. Why, why, is there, why is there bad stuff in the world and why does it happen to us? And God, Yahweh, gives answers through the prophet. And they are not easy answers for us to embrace because they don't clean up all the messes. My, my dad, because of his military background, insisted that you had to bounce a quarter on my freshly made bed every morning. He would come in and flip a coin, and if the quarter bounced... All was good. If the quarter just flayed there, he would grab the covers and pull them off, set them down and say, try again. Really? I got to go to school. Yep, you can be late. Try again. So you got good at making the quarter bounce. <laughs> Except life with God, the quarter doesn't always bounce as easily. It's messy. The, the sheets are wrinkled and the, and the duvet is too thick and we try to bounce the quarter and get our answers and it just lays there and we are stuck with mystery and we don't like mystery very much. We want all the ends nicely, neatly, wrapped up, tucked in, fixed so that we know what we believe about God, so that we know all there is to know about God. Well, newsflash, folks, we can't know all there is to know about God. 
no matter how hard we try. Darn it. Hate it. But there it is. And so in dialogue, God answers our complaints, and we're not always satisfied with those answers. In fact, I think very, very frequently we're dissatisfied with our answers. If we were judging God's answers on you know, the five-point scale of very satisfied to not satisfied at all, God would probably get a two most of the time with me. I don't know where he'd score with you. But the prophet says we've got to take those answers seriously. We've got to continue the dialogue. Because God doesn't just answer our questions once. God, God is willing to be in a repeated, sustained conversation. Because we are the spiritual equivalent of the 10-second Tom. The character in the movie 50 First Dates who had a brain injury and could only remember things for 10 seconds. And so in the middle of a conversation, after he'd introduced himself, hi, I'm Tom, and you'd be talking to him, and he'd, hi, I'm Tom. We do that spiritually with God all the time. We are 10-second Toms. And God very patiently, very lovingly, reintroduces himself again to us and continues to dialogue with us graciously, lovingly. We have to take seriously God's answers to our complaints. But a third thing that Habakkuk teaches us is that we can ask God to act. Habakkuk is not afraid to ask God to champion his need. And frankly, neither should we. We, we, should, be, we should be okay with asking God to champion our concerns and our causes. I'm not saying that you know, we should never come to God with a list of needs. Not saying that. I'm saying that if that's the only way we pray, we've sort of engaged in a great adventure and missing the point. But the prophet reminds us that asking God to act is a legitimate part of the relationship, a legitimate part of the dialogue. And then fourthly, to look for God's mighty acts in the world to be on the lookout for God's fingerprints in the here and now. One of the fingerprints of God in this congregation has been our connection with Mennonite Central Committee and its International Visitor Exchange Program. Before our first Ivepper, James Kiskew, came here five years ago, yes, I would bet all the money in my pocket against all the money in your pocket that less than a third of us could find Bangladesh on a map. Today we know where Bangladesh is. We know where Laos is. We know where South Korea is. We have a bigger sense of the world. We have a bigger sense of God's world we have a bigger sense of how God works in the world because we have partnered with this program in a way that engages us in the lives of people like Joy and Yua and James and soon Savojit. Look for God's mighty acts in the world. We, 
we, we hear mighty acts and we think, you know, lightning and thunder and storm and majesty and power. God's fingerprints can be found in a young Korean woman on a boogie board. <laughs> As she shows us the delight of celebrating God's creation on the coast of Orange County. And you watch her get on the boogie board and you go, yeah, God's at work. You live with a renewed sense of confidence that God is a God who does mighty and wonderful things. And then the last thing that Habakkuk says is to, to live as if God is a king. To live as if God is actually in charge. To live as if God can actually meet need. That no matter how empty things look, God can help us adjust and reframe and do the next thing we need to do. The cupboard's bare, we become nimble. It was Spurgeon who said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Right and wrong, we've got figured out pretty well. I would say 98% of us can figure out right and wrong without much, without too much religious instruction. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. It's knowing the difference between good and best. And the prophet Habakkuk, in his prayer, lays out a way to hear God speak to us about the best. So this morning, some questions for us to think about. It's Andrew Murray who writes, prayer is not monologue, but dialogue. God's voice is its most essential part. Listening to God's voice is the secret of the assurance that he will listen to mine. And so with that as a background, three questions for us. When was the last time you listened to God? Not when was the last time you brought God your list of needs. When was the last time in quiet you listened and you saw God at work and you heard his voice? What was that like for you? Where do you see God at work in the world today? How do you celebrate that? And how do you live as if God is sovereign? When do you experience that? One more thing. It was St. Augustine who said, he who sings prays twice. Let us remember that being the church is an invitation for us to sing. Nice with the new slide, I appreciate that. <laughs> and and the, the challenge for us, like the challenge for Habakkuk, who is writing a song, the challenge for us is to write songs, to sing of the glories of God 
in the ways that we experience him in community, to sing of the glories of God in the ways that we experience him in the ambiguities, to sing of the glories of God in the ways we experience him in the moments that are not churchified, but still sanctified. Like a young Korean girl on a boogie board. A sanctified holy moment if there ever was one. May we learn to sing like Habakkuk. May we learn to pray with perspective, praying twice, living with the ambiguous answers that God gives. Not because God is trying to avoid us, but because we are spiritual 10-second Toms, folks who don't quite focus in on the answers. And so we hear the story again and again and again. Thanks be to God for his word.